Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. good for all of us, both in person and online, to be together in this way. And this fall, we are going to be spending some time in the book of Acts, digging into what, for some of us, may be some familiar stories, nevertheless, stories that I believe still have the ability to both surprise and challenge us. Now, we have a lot of territory to cover today, so let's jump right into it. The book of Acts is the second volume, the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And in the opening verses of Acts chapter 1, Luke explains his purpose in writing both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He says that in my former book, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about the beginning of Jesus's ministry and Jesus's mission. And now in this second volume, I'm going to tell you about the continuation of Jesus's ministry and mission through his disciples after his resurrection and his ascension. The book of Acts is the story of how Jesus's ministry continues beyond the gospel of Luke. We sometimes call Acts the Acts of the Apostles, but we really more accurately should call it the acts of the resurrected and exalted Christ who continues to work through his disciples, who continues to work through his church. And it's just a few verses later in chapter one, when the risen but not yet ascended Jesus tells his disciples what role they will play in expanding his mission. He tells them in verse 8, you are going to be my spirit-empowered, the spirit will be at work within you, spirit-empowered witnesses testifying to all you've seen and heard and experienced about me and with me. You'll start right here in Jerusalem, and then you'll move north into Judea and Samaria, and ultimately you'll take this message about me to the ends of the earth. Now we fast forward to the very end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, the last two verses, verses 30 and 31, and we see at the very end of the book of Acts, Paul is living in Rome, preaching the good news of Jesus, preaching the gospel unhindered. In just over 30 years, the gospel 
which starts in Jerusalem, that little red circle down at the bottom right hand of the screen, and then moves north into Judea and Samaria, finally makes it all the way to Rome in the top left hand of your screen. Rome is the gateway to the ends of the earth. Because if the gospel can make it there, it can make it anywhere. To give you a sense of how all of this happened in just over 30 years, today I want to take you on a quick journey through the entire book of Acts. And along the way, I want to point out some of the obstacles the gospel had to overcome to make it to the ends of the earth. Our journey begins in Acts chapter 1 when the risen Jesus is surrounded by the same disciples who had deserted and denied him just a few weeks before. And even after Jesus' resurrection, after 40 days of teaching and instruction and explanation from the risen Jesus, it's clear from one of the questions they asked Jesus that they still don't get it. They still don't fully grasp the implications of what had just happened or what is about to happen. They still don't see the big picture. And Jesus entrusts his mission to them anyway. Having a full and complete understanding of the gospel is not a prerequisite for being part of Jesus's mission, for being useful in Jesus's mission. And so in chapter two, then the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them just as Jesus said it would be. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit raises a ruckus in Jerusalem and it gathers a crowd, thousands of people. And Peter takes advantage of this gathering and he preaches a gospel sermon about Jesus. And the result is mass conversions. Thousands of people are baptized. The mission in Jerusalem is off to a great start. But then in chapters three and four, the disciples face their first opposition. It comes from the religious leaders in Jerusalem who had been jealous of Jesus's popularity before his crucifixion. And now they cannot believe that masses of people are still taking him and the rumors of his resurrection seriously. And they do not ever want to hear the name Jesus spoken in the city of Jerusalem again. And so they threaten the apostles with punishment if they don't stop talking about Jesus. The apostles and the disciples, the church gathers and responds to this threat with a defiant prayer for boldness in the face of persecution. And the Spirit works through them, and the church continues to grow. And there's an amazing level of generosity among the disciples. So much so that Luke says there were, and imagine this, there were no needy persons among them. Then in chapter 5, two disciples named Ananias and Sapphira want to 
appear to be as generous as all the other disciples are without actually being as generous as all the other disciples are. And the first internal threat to the church is hypocrisy. They pretend to be something they're not, and the result is they both fall over dead at Peter's feet. Sounds like a PR nightmare, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine the scuttlebutt in Jerusalem after this? Because unlike today, back then, people would gossip about what was going on in other churches. <laughs> Did you hear what happened at the First Church of Christ last week? Two people fell over dead. Must be that new preacher. <laughs> it's not going to last long, is he? Not if they keep dying. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's more external opposition. The religious leaders have the apostles flogged because they will not stop talking about Jesus. Despite these internal and external threats, the church continues to grow. But then in chapter 6, the murmuring begins. Because again, back then, apparently people would complain if something happened in church that they didn't like. And there's an accusation of favoritism among the disciples. The food is not being distributed fairly among the widows. And this is a serious accusation and a serious organizational problem for a group whose reputation is that there are no needy persons among them. And the apostles take this charge seriously. They take their responsibility seriously and they reorganize and they redistribute some of their responsibilities so that everyone is happy again and taken care of again and the church continues to flourish. But the persecution in Jerusalem escalates. And in chapter 7, a disciple named Stephen is stoned by an angry crowd. And a villain a true, mean villain steps onto the scene. His name is Saul. And he dedicates his life to opposing the followers of Jesus. He becomes the arch enemy of the church and the gospel. And the persecution in Jerusalem then becomes so severe that in chapter 8, the disciples scatter from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And of course, they take the gospel, the story of Jesus, with them exactly as Jesus said they would. And then, in chapter 9, Saul, the arch enemy of the church, is converted, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. No one saw this coming, especially Saul, since to get his attention, God struck him blind temporarily. And then in chapter 10, the gospel continues to expand beyond the boundaries Cornelius is a Gentile, in other words, a non-Jew, and he is converted along with his whole family. 
And this is a big deal. A non-Jew following a Jewish Messiah without first becoming a Jew. Now, Peter, who's a part of the conversion process for Cornelius and his family, thinks this is something to celebrate, but not everyone agrees. And when he gets back to Jerusalem in chapter 11, he's initially criticized for fellowshipping with Gentiles. But then Peter tells the story of how the Holy Spirit was poured out on Cornelius and his family, just as it had been poured out on them in chapter two, and no one dares argue with the Holy Spirit. But this is the beginning of a controversy that never really goes away in Acts. It'll show up just a few chapters later. In chapter 12 in Jerusalem again, James is put to death by King Herod. James is one of the original 12, the first one to die other than Judas. And then Herod has Peter arrested, put in jail, intending to kill him as well. And the disciples gather and they begin to pray for Peter. And Peter is miraculously released from jail by an angel. And this leads to what I think is one of the more humorous stories, scenes, not just in Acts, but in all the Bible. We'll pick it up in chapter 12, verse 5. Peter's in prison. The church is earnestly praying to God for him. Peter's in prison. The church is praying. And Peter is released from prison by an angel. So then down in verse 12, says, Peter went to the house of Mary where many people had gathered and were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. Leave us alone, we're praying for Peter. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. We sometimes think that the first Christians were more spiritual than we are, more faithful than we are. But apparently they sometimes prayed prayers they didn't believe would be answered the way they wanted them to be answered, just like we do sometimes. Now back to the story in chapters 13 and 14. Paul, Paul, who used to be Saul and Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, they embark on their first missionary journey and it is a smashing success. But most of their converts are Gentiles. And this brings more controversy back in Jerusalem. So in chapter 15, they go back to Jerusalem to sort it out with the leaders of the early church. Everyone, all the leaders gather and they wrestle with a couple of important questions. One is a question I've already mentioned. Do Gentiles, non-Jews, have to become Jews, convert to Judaism, circumcision, obeying the law of Moses in order to be Christians? Do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians? Is the gospel for Jews only? That's the question. Or is it for everyone? This is a question of exclusivity. 
who is eligible to follow Jesus. And they decide that no. No, Gentiles do not have to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. The gospel is open to all. Another question they wrestle with, though, is, okay, but how, how many of our Jewish traditions or customs should we bind on our Gentile brothers and sisters? Are they free to follow Jesus without becoming exactly like us, doing everything we do? And again, they decide to bind as few traditions aspects of their Jewish heritage as possible on their new Gentile brothers and sisters. And the Holy Spirit is both ahead of and behind their decision. And the gospel continues to spread and the church continues to grow. At the very end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas the two most prominent missionaries to the Gentiles, they have such a sharp disagreement that they decide they can no longer work together. This never happens today, but back then, sometimes Christians didn't get along with each other. And Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes the other. And Luke continues to tell us the story of Paul's missionary work. Now, picking up the pace of the story a bit, In chapters 16 through 20, we see Paul preaching the gospel in a number of cities and villages, and he plants a bunch of churches, and he writes a few letters. And along the way, he gets in trouble with local officials and rulers and his fellow Jews and with idol-worshiping Gentiles who are threatened by his message. He has great success sharing the gospel, but he's always in trouble. And then in chapter 21, he goes back to Jerusalem and he's still in trouble and he's almost killed because of his missionary activity among the Gentiles because he continues to fellowship with non-Jews. But then in chapter 23, Jesus appears to Paul and tells him, don't worry, you are not going to die here. You are going to preach the gospel in Rome just like you've preached it here in Jerusalem. From this point on, the rest of the story of Acts is about getting Paul to Rome because that's where Jesus said he was going. He's eventually transferred from Jerusalem to Caesarea and he stands trial before several officials. And then he's loaded on a ship bound for Rome. And in chapter 27, that ship is overwhelmed by a storm. And Paul and his shipmates set ground on the shore of an uncharted desert isle. There's Gilligan, the skipper. Sorry, wrong story, wrong story. But there's a shipwreck. And once they're safely on shore, Paul is gathering wood for a fire and he's bitten by a poisonous snake. And it does not kill him. Because Paul is going to Rome because that's where Jesus said he was going. And finally, in chapter 28, Paul arrives in Rome. And as we've already read, he's put under house arrest and then he rents a home. And from there, he preaches the gospel boldly and without hindrance. 
all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's amazing when you consider all the obstacles the gospel has to overcome to make it to the ends of the earth. Here are some of the obstacles I just mentioned in my retelling of the story. I put them all on one screen for you. These are the obstacles the gospel overcomes. There's weak leadership, leaders who have a history of cracking under pressure, leaders who don't fully understand the nature of their mission. There's opposition from religious and government authorities. There's moral failure within the church, greed, deception, hypocrisy. There are complaints of favoritism and poor organization, faithless prayers, exclusivity and traditionalism, leadership squabbles among prominent leaders, bad weather, snakes. Aren't these some of the same obstacles that stand in the way of the gospel today? And the good news back then is the good news today. And that is that none of these obstacles can keep the Holy Spirit from taking the gospel wherever the risen and exalted Jesus wants it to go. The gospel overcomes all obstacles. It brings to mind this word of the Lord from Isaiah 55. Verse 10, the Lord says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Some of us have in the past read the book of Acts, believing that it contained a bunch of details about the church that we have to get right in order to be the kind of church that God can use to spread the gospel. Some of us have read the book of Acts like it was a blueprint that told us exactly what church is supposed to look like and be like. But it seems much closer to the truth to say that in Acts, the only detail we have to get right, the only detail we have to get right is to keep putting our weak faith and imperfect trust in the resurrected and exalted Christ who through the power of the Holy Spirit overcomes all obstacles so that Christ is and will accomplish his mission 
with us, through us, and sometimes, no, who am I kidding? Many times, in spite of us. Yeah, if that's good news, let me hear you say amen. I invite you to stand and let's close by reading from Ephesians chapter 3. These are words from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Let's read out loud together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 